Ezekiel Ministries is a mentoring-based ministry out of the Midlands area that seeks to serve Lexington and Richland schools by bringing kids from the school system to the after-school programs and teaching them about Jesus and giving them extra support in their daily life so that every child can beat the odds. Radius White Knoll and Radius Lexington actually house two of our three after schools. So we could definitely not do our ministry without Radius. And we are so thankful for the many partners that contribute both with their time and with their money to make this mission possible. Just last week, a kid who has never graced the doors of a church started asking, you keep talking about God talking to people. How does that happen? And we got to share with him about through prayer and scripture, how the Lord speaks to us. And he stopped me and said, okay, you keep talking about reading your Bible. I don't have one of those. How can I get one? And it allowed me to say, I can get one for you, buddy. I want you to know what the Lord says about you and his love for you. Um, so we're already starting to see the impact that Ezekiel Ministries, through partnering with Radius Churches, has on our community at a, as a whole. Do y'all know what wisdom is, uh, Daniel? There are three main ways that we need your help. The first is through volunteering. Whether you want to drive a bus, help a teacher in a classroom, or pass out snacks to, to kids, we want to make sure that they have Jesus-loving adults in their lives making an investment in them. The second way is through mentoring. We have children on a list, kindergarten through 10th grade, that are looking for an adult mentor to walk alongside them in their day-to-day -day life. And the third is through financial generosity. We could not do anything we do without the generous hearts of people in our community. We believe that together through service and generosity, families will grow stronger, kids' lives will change forever, and communities will be impacted for the gospel. It's a great story, and there are several others just like it. Uh, when you walked in, there was a card in the seat. I think every two or three seats that is an opportunity for you to learn a little bit more about Give Hope as we partner with Easy Mission Lexington, the school district, to put resources in the hands of folks to help others. So make sure you check out this card and learn more about Give Hope. If you've got your Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in the Christmas story this morning to help us get in the Christmas spirit. I thought I'd show you a picture real quick. Uh, this is called the uh, Adoration of the Magi by Leonardo da Vinci. There it is right there. Uh, many of you know Leonardo da Vinci because of the Mona Lisa or maybe because of all his science stuff or maybe his military inventions. Uh, this one here is famous uh, not because of the art itself, it's because it's incomplete. It's, it's an unfinished work of da Vinci, and it's actually one of the most famous unfinished works. This one was supposed to be commissioned and, and, and hanging over an altar, and it ended up not getting there because, if you can imagine, da Vinci was always working on some invention, some science thing, physiology, biology, you name it. The guy was a genius, and this one just ended up incomplete. But most people looking at it would say, while it's not finished... Um, it actually is perfect just the way it is. Kind of crazy to think about, right? Now art uh, critics look at it and say, man, it, I think it's just right. Uh, let's look at another one. I'll show you another one. This one is called James Hunter. Uh, and this one is by Alice Neal. This was in 1965 in the middle of uh, America's 
uh, racial divide and trying to figure out uh, segregation and all of those things. Alice Neal said, I'd like to, to paint you. And so he decided he would do that. And, and you can see the sketch. It's unfinished. The reason why this one's unfinished is because he was drafted into Vietnam and he never came back. Um, and not coming back just wasn't able to complete the work. But Alice Neal looked at it and said, um, his face captures so much of what I wanted to capture with the racial divide. She signed it and said, while it's not finished, it's complete. It's complete. I, I, I'm done. I, I don't want to, it doesn't need to be added to. I'll show you one more, probably one that you are really familiar with. This is the uh, unfinished work of a portrait of George Washington. This is actually the one that is on your $1 bill, believe it or not. Uh, this guy, uh, Gilbert Stewart, was commissioned to, to do this portrait. He didn't finish it on purpose so that he could create some stir and some buzz about this portrait. It was so famous that it obviously has inspired the image on our $1 bill. Not only that, but nearly every other portrait of George Washington is based upon this one. Crazy. And so now when you look at it, you'd say, well, it's not finished, but most people would say it's complete. It's perfect. All right, let me, let me read a quote for you from an art critic about this idea of being complete and finished. He says, there's a great difference between a work that is complete and a work that is finished. That in general, what is completed is not finished. And that thing that is highly finished does not need to be complete at all. Charles Baudelaire is an art critic. And if you take the word complete out and you said whole, perfect, now we'll read it. A work that is perfect and a work that is finished, where the last brushstroke is given. He says, in general, what is perfect or whole is not finished. Those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, that is the tension we live in. We live in a tension because of what Jesus Christ has done, his death, burial, and resurrection. It is complete, but it is not finished. And so today I want to talk about what does it look like for us to live in a world where there's completeness and wholeness, but it's not finished, and to look ahead to the day that one day it will be complete and it will be finished. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Let's take a look. Luke chapter 2, we're in the throes of this Christmas story. You know, you know it well. This is Mary and Joseph headed to Bethlehem. She is great with child. She's the virgin betrothed to Joseph. They get there to Bethlehem. There's no room at the inn. So they uh, have baby Jesus there, lay him in a manger, wrap him in swaddling clothes. While all that's going down, the angels appear to the shepherds and they say, hey, head off and find this boy that's wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then the choir shows up and the choir says, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. We're going to talk more about that one just in a second. They get there and sure enough, Jesus is as they find him. And then we get to the tail end of Luke chapter 2 where we're introduced to a man named Simeon. And Simeon is going to meet Jesus when Jesus is eight days old. Every 
law-abiding, God-fearing Hebrew would have taken their eight-day-old son to the temple and they would have had their son circumcised. And that is where Mary and Joseph are headed and they run into Simeon. It says this in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, and he was looking forward to Israel's consolation. Israel at the time is not its own nation. They are a city-state of Rome. They are persecuted. They have to obey the laws and the governance of Rome. This is not how God drew it up. This is not how it was supposed to be. Simeon knows that, and instead of being overwhelmed by the circumstances, He is devout. He is loyal. He is a follower of Yahweh, the God of Israel, and he is waiting because he knows there's a promise. And that promise is, is that God is going to deliver a Messiah, send the Messiah to rescue Israel. And so he's waiting. He says, I know that you are going to comfort Israel. And then on the tail end of verse 25, he said, and the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit, that's the personal presence of God. That's the third member of the Godhead. Remember, this series is called The Spirit of Christmas. The Holy Spirit is intimately involved in the birth of Jesus Christ. From conception to the leadership of Simeon here, Holy Spirit has a big part to play. And when we think about the Holy Spirit, remember, Acts chapter 2 is when the Holy Spirit comes to all of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Before that, the Holy Spirit sits on certain individuals and gives them power to complete certain tasks. This is one of those times. For Joseph, it was to interpret dreams. For the prophets, it was to see things as God sees them. And here, it was for Simeon to identify the Messiah. So he says the Holy Spirit was on him, verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. So Luke lets us know that Simeon here has been waiting for this Messiah. The Holy Spirit somewhere along the way said, listen, you're not going to die until you see this kid, this person, this Savior face to face. And so here is Simeon anxiously awaiting the person that will bring salvation to Israel. Now, we don't know a lot about Simeon. I'm just going to give you what tradition says. Now, when I say tradition, don't take this to the bank, right? This is just what tradition says. Tradition says that when Simeon was translating the book of Isaiah... He got to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and in Isaiah 7, 14, it says that there is going to be this child, Emmanuel, and he's going to be born to a virgin. And soon as he translated that, tradition says that the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not see death until he has seen the Messiah. I think that's a great story. It's just tradition. Tradition also says Simeon lived 200 years. So kind of take it, right, with a grain of salt. But great story nonetheless. So he's there. He's waiting. It's been revealed to him. Verse 27. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple, Simeon. And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, circumcision, dedicating this child... Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you 
can dismiss your slave in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. He holds up baby Jesus and he says, I can now die in peace. In other words, my life is now complete. My life's not finished, but I am now complete because I have seen this kid that you have promised. That's pretty cool, isn't it? When I read that, I think about times where I would look at Simeon and say, man, if you get all excited about eight-day-old baby Jesus, how much more excited would Simeon have been for 31-year-old Jesus? 31-year-old Jesus who casts out demons and heals people and preaches these amazing sermons. How much cooler would it be? But Simeon says, I don't need all that. I don't need to see the, the finished product. I know by laying eyes on this eight-day-old baby that this promise will be fulfilled. And I am complete. I can rest in peace. Have you all ever had one of those moments where you could just... Say, right now, if my life were to end, I'd be perfectly happy. You ever had one of those? I've had several of them, and most of them aren't very spiritual. Let me just share a couple. Um, the very first time I ever had a Krispy Kreme donut hot off the press, <laughs> it goes up that chain and goes down that chain and then goes under the waterfall of blessing or icing and, and then cools and then they take that straw and give it to you and the tissue paper the first time I had a bite I'm like I'm done I'm good I am good anyone else with me Krispy Kreme maybe wow some of you did this a couple of weeks ago because you said I can die a happy person South Carolina finally beat Clemson I I am good right and I can't believe I just made a South Carolina joke like I I'm not even from here. I kind of feel icky doing it, but that's the way it works, right? And so we have this completeness. Like, I feel like I have arrived. I am whole. I am complete. This thing that I've been waiting on to happen or this, this experience I have just says, wow. Maybe for some of us, that's to go to the Grand Canyon and to look out over that and be amazed at how small we are and how magnificent our God is. Some of us, that might be standing on the top of a mountain and you can see three states away and you recognize that there is a creator whose hand is absolutely powerful. Whatever it is, we've had these moments where you just go, oh, man, I, I'm good. And that's Simeon here. That is Simeon. And, and to me, when I look at it, here's a guy that is never going to see thousands of people fed with five loaves and two fish. He's never going to hear Jesus speak the words, take up your mat and walk. He's never going to see demons come out of a man and into pigs and those pigs run off a cliff. He's not going to see Jesus crucified. He's not going to see Jesus suffer. He's not going to see Jesus taken off a cross and put in a, in a tomb. He's not going to see the resurrected Christ. But he would look at that eight-day-old baby and say, I'm complete. I'm complete. Now let's take it one step further. One step further. If you go back to verse 29 in Luke 2, he says this. You can dismiss your slave in peace. The word peace there is the word, in Hebrew, would be the word shalom. 
Now, I believe Simeon would have said that word because he's a devout Hebrew. And so he would have said shalom. Now, the word shalom or peace does not mean this. It does not mean the absence of conflict. The word shalom means complete or whole. That's what the word means. So he says, I can rest in peace knowing that I'm complete, but I can rest in shalom because I have experienced completeness and wholeness by seeing Jesus Christ. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Crazy to think about that one little word there. Most of the time when we think of peace, we think if my kids will just quit fighting in the back seat. And that's what we call a ceasefire, but that's not shalom. If my coworkers would just quit arguing, that's, that's absence of conflict. That's not shalom. Shalom is wholeness and completeness. Let, let me show you just a couple of examples. Um, and before I do that, for those of you who would say, I'd really like to know more about that, this is what I tell you to do. I want you to get online and go to Bible Project and then put peace in the Google search. And you're going to come across a video by Tim Mackey, who does these videos on Bible Project. They are absolutely fantastic. It's four minutes. It's even a cartoon. You can't beat this at all, right? So those of you who would like a little bit more, I'm just going to give you a few snippets, but it is a fantastic video. But let me show you this. Let me show you shalom as completeness or wholeness as it's used in the Old Testament. Exodus 22.5. It'll be on the screen. It says this. When a man lets a field or a vineyard be grazed in, when he lets an animal go in there and, and, and eat, and then allows his animals to go and graze in someone else's field, he must repay him with the best of his own field or vineyard. You see where the word shalom is? It's really weird. It's the word repay, restitution. So it's one thing for you to say, hey, if you want your animal to graze in your field, that's fine. But if that animal grazes in someone else's field and they didn't want that and they messed up that vineyard, then shalom is not go grab your ox and put it in your own field. Shalom is I'm going to come over and I'm going to repay and restitution and I'm going to make this right and I'm going to give you some of my stuff to make this whole again, complete again. Really important. We would just think, oh, well, I got my animal out. You're good. No, 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 no. It's got to be made whole restitution. Let me give you a, another one. This one's a little harder to, to think through because it's so counterintuitive to who we are. Proverbs 16, 7 says this. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at shalom with him. Not his enemies to quit having conflict with him, but to be restored, whole, complete. Most of us would really like if this just said where we were just okay to agree to disagree. Or I don't ever see that person again and they don't ever see me and so we have peace. What Proverbs says is if it's going to be shalom, that it'll actually be restoration reconciliation, that we would be together, whole, complete. Have you ever seen those times where there are two people and you can't believe this person forgave this person for what they did? 
And as a result, they were able to walk together in reconciliation and restoration. That's shalom. Anyone can quit talking to someone. Not everyone can be a peacemaker, a shalom maker, completeness and wholeness. It's just a few examples. As I look at that, I sit back and, and at this point, if I'm really honest with you and I think about peace, I go to thinking about Galatians 5. We just talked about it. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, and I'm supposed to somehow be whole and complete. Can I just be really honest with you? Just real talk? The last couple of weeks, I haven't felt that. Matter of fact, if anything, I've had some things in my life that have been the opposite of wholeness and completeness. I'm sitting back thinking, man, what's the deal there? And then you remember, remember the angels, that whole choir thing came out and said what? Peace on earth? Peace on earth? Do we need to get our phones out and look at the news feed? Anybody got peace on earth? If your news feed looks different than mine, I would love to subscribe to whatever you're subscribing to. But this morning, Russia and Ukraine are still going at it. There are four college students that have been murdered up there that no one knows who. There is still violence everywhere. There's still divorce court that's going to happen on Monday. Like, like the list goes on. Anybody with me? And so in my brain, I'm like, what? You just said Jesus is coming and there's supposed to be peace, shalom. And I'm supposed to walk in the spirit and have peace and shalom. How do I get to Simeon? How can I get there where my life is, I can just say, I'm, I, I can be exited out of this place because I experience it. And then just to make matters worse, I mean, just like Jesus here, I mean, it's going to sound bad. Like he doesn't help the situation. Listen to what he's going to say in John 16, verse 33. Listen to these words. At the end of his life, he's looking at his fellows. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, shalom, completeness. And if it stopped there, we would all be great. But look at what it says next. He says, you will have suffering in this world. What? You just told me I was going to have peace. But now there's going to be suffering. And then he says, be courageous. I have conquered the world. Which one is it, Jesus? Make up your mind, right? Make up your mind. Peace? Or suffering. Shalom or not. Which one is it? And I just wonder how many of us in the room feel some of that same tension as we work through our lives and maybe we, we would say, hey, I think there's peace and maybe there's some sort of way that I'm supposed to walk in it. And again, I'm just going to say this again. I believe with all my heart that when Jesus came the first time, that he offered shalom, and it is complete. But it's also not finished yet. And because it's not finished yet, we still feel this tension. But I'm going to say it again. There will come a day when it will be complete and finished. So I want to draw this up for you, and I hope today encourage your heart just for a moment. So if you will, indulge me in some nerdiness. Is that all right? Um, uh, let me, let me, let me start as I, as I look at it here, I'm going to, I'm going to draw two mountains as I draw these two mountains, hopefully as I, as I do this and explain it, it'll, it'll make sense as I go. 
This, this first mountain here that I'm going to draw up as I work my way through trying to figure out what, what piece is going on. This first mountain, I'm going to call it the first advent. And at the first advent, that is what we are currently celebrating right now. Matter of fact, technically, we are in the third Sunday of Advent. Third Sunday of Advent. Advent is the time where we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ. And so on the top of this mountain, we would draw a manger and we would draw baby Jesus in that manger. And I'm going to put some straw in there so that it's clear Baby Jesus in a manger, this is at the top. This is a massive moment in history. And the reason why it's a massive moment in history is because it fulfills scripture like the ones I just read a moment ago, Isaiah 7:14, Micah chapter 5 verse 1 through 5 where it says that this child will be uh, born in Bethlehem, that this child is going to be born to a virgin, that Jesus is the promised one and he shows up as a a baby in a manger 2000 years ago, his first advent is so incredibly important. And then we know from Scripture that there is a second advent to come. And that second advent is where Jesus stands on this mountain and he's got a sword in his hand. And it looks very different as he has a throne or a king on his head as well. And this would be the second advent. When we think about these two advents, this one is just as prophesied. It is just as promised. Uh, It's passages like Zechariah. It's passages that talk about the day of the Lord. I don't have time to give you all of those, but it's any time where we see this, this Messiah, Savior figure coming in to rescue Israel, to rescue them. And so we have the two advents going on. Now, Between those two advents, some things happen that are incredibly important, and they affect us. And one of those things, probably the most important thing that happens between those two advents, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so at that cross, we have Jesus Christ dying for our sin. We have him being the curse on our behalf. We see him taking our sin and our shame and And dying for that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you would sit back and say, Jesus Christ died on a cross for me. I deserve that, but he died for me. And not only that, but we would say in this time that Jesus Christ was buried, but then he came out of the tomb. He rose again, and we'll celebrate that uh, with Easter as we recognize that Jesus Christ came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. But right during that same time in that first advent, we also have the fact that Jesus Christ is going to ascend into heaven. And as he ascends, he is leaving the earth. This is incredibly important because as he leaves... Somebody else comes down, and that somebody else is the Holy Spirit. And that's in Acts chapter 2. And those little things are flaming tongues, if you'll remember Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes down and now lives in each and every one of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The most remarkable thing about the first advent is what we're currently doing right now. And what that is, is the fact that we are 
the church. And so now everybody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is a part of the church. All of that happened because of the first advent. And for those of you who are a little shaky on where we are in the timeline, obviously this, these mountains are what we would consider 2,000 years apart. I'm going to put us right here. Here's the radius R. That's where we are. And if you're thinking, oh, he must think Jesus is coming back soon, I, I just ran out of space. That's the only reason it's that close to the mountain, right? Don't, don't panic. I'm not trying to predict dates here, right? And for those of you who are wondering, the second advent hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting on that one, right? Still waiting. So when we look at all of these things combined right here, when we look at all of these things combined as a result of the first advent, we know that we have peace with God. Before Jesus came, there was not peace with God. It was not complete and whole. Why wasn't it complete and whole? Because of sin. Sin. Adam and Eve eat from the tree they weren't supposed to. That sin gets passed down to each and every one of us, and that sin separates us from God. That is a gap. That means it's not complete. That means it is not whole. That means my relationship with the, the, the one who created me that means it's not, it's not there. And Jesus Christ has to come, first advent, to die for my sin, to be buried, to be raised back to life by the power of the Holy Spirit so that my relationship with God could be made whole. Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus Christ is our shalom. He is our peace. He's our peace. And so now I have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Absolutely amazing. It, you can't doubt that. But here's the problem. And you're probably thinking, yeah, Russell, we've already covered this ground. What about the sin and the pain and the hurt and the loss? What about all of the other mess that's going on in the world? If Jesus died for sin and, and these angels said there's going to be peace on earth, when's that happening? that happens at the second advent. You see, at the second advent, we have Jesus Christ coming to rule and reign. And we have this thing called a new heaven and a new earth. And when Jesus comes back the next time, what do we have? Peace, not just with God, but on earth. This is what we call double peace. And so for some of us who wonder, how in the world am I still feeling the effects of sin? This is why. Because when Jesus came the first time, it was complete, but not finished. But when he comes the second time, it will be complete and it will be finished. That's what he's going to do. And he is going to set all things right. It's going to think, set all things right. And so for us, we live in this current world, hopefully with peace. Hopefully we live in it. If I'm just shooting straight with you, can I, can I just shoot straight with you? Some of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we don't feel shalom and completeness and wholeness because we're still doing the top part of Galatians 5, which is living by the works of the flesh. And when you live by works of the flesh, 
you don't get the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, and peace. And so if you like peace, we've got to put those things aside so that we can have what the Holy Spirit wants to provide in us. So some of us, when we look at it and say, man, I know my, I know my, my relationship with God is restored, but my life is, is still and headed in a wrong direction, that's where we sit back and say, you know what, maybe we ought to start living according to the Spirit so that I can experience that inner peace that He's given us. I want to know that more and more and more. Um, this is just for free. Since I've got the drawing up here, I'll add a little bit more to it. Is that all right? Um, you didn't respond, so I'm just going to go with it. <clears throat> Here's us. When we're here between these two mountains, we get to see both of them. We get to look back and know that Jesus Christ came. And he came and he paid the penalty and he did that. But we also get to look at his word and look forward and know that peace is coming. That is a tremendous responsibility. You understand that? That's a tremendous responsibility. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he, he's asking us to take this huge responsibility that says there's a peace here and a peace coming, and it is our job to step into that and to be peacemakers. It's our job. It's a, it's a massive responsibility. He didn't say, blessed are the conflict avoiders. Blessed are the peacemakers. We step into that. That's why we get in the ditch with people. That's why we try to do this, because we know that Jesus Christ is the solution. But what if you're standing on this side of the mountain? What if you're in Old Testament? And you look at this side of the mountain, and this is what you see. You want to know why they missed Jesus Christ? Because they were looking at those two peaks and they couldn't see that valley in between. And they thought Jesus was going to look like what? They thought he was going to look like that. They thought he was going to look like sword. And as a result, they missed it. You say, how do they miss it when you can see it that way? You ever been to Colorado? When you look at the Rocky Mountains and you look at mountain peaks like this, it looks like this peak and this peak are the same mountain. But what you don't see is the valley in between those two mountains. And so when they were looking at Jesus coming the first time, they were seeing baby Jesus is going to get big and strong and he's going to wield the sword and he's going to rescue us. And when Jesus didn't do that, they said he must not be the Messiah. We look back and see, no, 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 no. There was two, there was, there was gap between those 2,000 years and plus. And it is a tremendous responsibility that we have to communicate the peace that Jesus Christ was going to bring. So here in a minute, the team's going to come back out and they're going to lead us in some songs. And we're going to come and, and if you feel led to come take the bread and juice to remember the sacrifice that was made to bring you peace. And you can come and do that. We're going to sing this song, Blessed Assurance, right off the bat, old hymn. And he says this, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine right now. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Complete, but not finished. Complete, but not finished. Let me pray for us.